Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. NBC Sports, Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Wow, Chase Thomas podcast. I say it so fast, John Taylor. I say it fast, and I think I've done that before, where like I, I stumbled over it and I did something out of order, and uh, you caught it. And I don't remember what it was, but <clears throat> a couple couple months back, I feel like I did that. But either way. Uh, Coming to you live from Knoxville, New- Tennessee. Oh, everything. I, I, no, I know. No, see, I, I messed over. up the whole rhythm, John. I didn't even finish we're... my intro to get to you. Goodness. I know. We're off to a great start here, folks. But coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Everything School HQ. Up there, though, my good friend, Fangraphs.com's John Taylor in New York City. How are you, sir? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Not too bad. It's getting hot. Uh, here in Knoxville, that's been uh, been a welcome addition. I got to see some minor league baseball. Went back home to Atlanta for the weekend. The Braves were on a road trip, um, taking care of the Royals. So I was treated with a Triple A Gwinnett Stripers game. Charlie Very Culberson nice. playing some first. Uh, the Stripers are awful, John. Uh, mm-hmm. They lost this game to the Memphis Redbirds, but pretty packed place. And as I texted you. Minor league baseball is perfect. It's just whenever you have an opportunity to go, folks. I mean, go to major league baseball games if that's uh, in your city too. But minor league, it's the vibe. I think is better. I prefer a minor league vibe. I love them both, but the minor league vibe is just—I don't know. It's just a—it's a cooler, cooler deal that uh, that I'm a fan of. I like how just shambolic minor league baseball is because mm. I my minor league baseball team of not necessarily choice more necessity is is the brooklyn cyclones because they're mm. the only minor league team in the in the five boroughs uh the staten island yankees are now an independent league team the staten island fairy hawks or pizza rats or uh the, the staten island elise stefanics no way no she's upstate mm. new york um regard the staten island magas let's just go with that um but last week i was in the hudson valley just mm. uh, upstate from here uh, just about an hour north of the city. 
where the Hudson Valley Renegades play. They are the Yankees' high A affiliate. They used to be rookie ball, but as part of the minor league uh, contraction and reorganization, they got bumped up to low A, or, or I'm sorry, to high A. And I don't know, have you been to any either a Cyclones game or to any uh, minor league baseball? And have you been to a Cyclones game before? No, but I've been by the stadium. So when I was in New York last five years ago, um, I went by. It was at night, and they were not in. Uh, they were not there yet. It was early April, but they were not there um, the days that I was there. But I went by, made sure to go see it in the the park and everything. That's a it's a bucket list um, place to go to. It's a nice park, but I'm used to, since I'm used to Cyclones games, they they're a pretty professionally run organization in part mm. because I think they're the like I said they're the only minor league team in the five boroughs, and by being there on Coney Island, they have to you know by sheer default of where they are have to put together a pretty compelling project or product mm. rather. The Hudson Valley Renegades don't have to do that, and I'm not saying this to, to crap on the Renegades. I think you know that's again minor league baseball is fun because it's just silly, but. Mm. You know, I went to a game last week that was uh, Thirsty Thursday, so they had beer specials. Great. Okay. Dollar hot dog night. Fantastic. Love a dollar hot dog. I heard some people around me complaining that the dollar dogs were steamed instead of grilled. People, it's a dollar dog. What on earth do you expect? You know, it's... Wow. Th- first of all, what, what do you think is inside the hot dog to begin with? Like, do you think <laughs> well, grilling or steaming right it makes there. any I never difference? wanted to know, and uh, I will continue burrowing my head deep in yes. the sand on what yeah, actually if, is If any listeners dog. actually know what goes into to, to hot dogs at baseball games, please kindly do not contact us. Right. I don't want to know. I am yes. so much happier being ignorant there correct but everything else about the it's the whole thing had the vibe of like an amusement park run by bored teenagers (laughs) whereas like like it was prohibition night quote-unquote because you know every minor league team now has 50 million theme nights but the so it was thirsty thursday and prohibition night yeah and not only did they not ever really you know i i I guess someone never kind of put two and two together there and went (laughs) wait but the only Signed that it was Prohibition Night. And on their website, it said Prohibition Night with no explanation of what that would entail. Nothing mm-hmm. like, you know, there weren't any special uniforms. There wasn't like a bobblehead giveaway or any other kind of giveaway. The only giveaway they had was just uh, some t-shirts that they hadn't they hadn't given all of them away two games earlier. Uh, the only we take you to Hudson Valley Jail just to uh, reminisce. <laughs> Anyone who orders a beer is like, no beer, no. jail. Scared straight time. Yeah. Um, there was, like, the only indication you got that it was Prohibition Night was when they would flash it on the video board for... They flashed it on the video board a couple of times over the course of the game, but never with anything beyond that. It always just this 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 image on the video board that just said Prohibition Night, and then it would just mm-hmm. move on to something else. And it was like, <laughs> what what is Prohibition? Like, I still don't know mm-hmm. what Prohibition Night is. Um, there was, at some point, like, I think, I think they were team employees. I'm not 100% sure on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, dancing on one of the dugouts between innings. You know, every minor league team does their between innings entertainment mm-hmm. in costumes. But, like, for some reason, it was the, the Renegades mascot, who's a raccoon. Mm-hmm. Someone in a, in a perfectly fine-looking SpongeBob, like, costume, like you'd see at a kid's birthday party. Then someone in, like, the laziest Mario costume I've ever seen, where it's just a red shirt and blue overalls and a plumber hat, but no mustache, no nothing else. It was just, like, it was like a, like a Mario costume you'd get at, like, a dollar Halloween store, where it's, mm-hmm. like, it doesn't even say Mario on the, on the front of the costume bag. It would say, like, Italian plumber character or something. <laughs> and then the rest were in a hodgepodge of, like, superhero costumes, but, like, half-finished. Like, there was a dude in, the, in a Black Panther kind of onesie thing but with no mask uh there was a guy in a full spider-man outfit but black for some reason like not the red and blue but just black big spidey man spider-man 3 fan like yeah really, like, I guess, yeah i guess Spider-Man? yeah the symbiote spider-man yeah. suit uh there was a thor who didn't have a hammer or anything on his head <laughs> just the kind of like armor thing on the front and okay. the dance they were doing they were just kind of like doing a really lazy can-can <laughs> on top of the dugout i, I still don't really this get is tremendous why. content yeah, yeah. I, I, and just to, to to kind of bring it back to everything, like you know, go to a minor league game if you can, because that is the minor league experience: is mm-hmm. just sitting there with your cheap beer and your cheap hot dog, surrounded by seven hundred fifty other people. You know, I paid six dollars to get in the door for that game. Mm-hmm. It, it took all of two and a half hours. There were maybe two good players on the field the entire time, but it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. It's just it is such a low key experience that it's just it, there's something really nice and relaxing about it. Like if you're just willing to go with the flow, which is to say, you know, accept that no one seems to be in charge, you're going to have a great time. 
it's really relaxing. I wish for the Smokies here, they could institute like a yoga option. Uh, so my wife can just like uh, do some yoga in the outfield uh, in the corner. That would be cool. Um, we go to games, like do different things, experiment, yeah. do like stuff where it's like, Hey, here's the reading area <laughs> yeah. uh, for us. So, like, so uh, when you want to move around, just keep getting weirder and weirder because um, like you said, the, the main thing with minor league baseball is, ex- is that it's extremely laid back, which is a very cool thing. So go support minor league baseball, go support college baseball, always, major league baseball. It's all always fun. go support minor league baseball, especially those, those teams need it so much to continue existing. For sure. Um, well, uh, John Taylor, don't forget, folks, you can watch us uh, if you're watching us now. Thank you. And hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe. All that good stuff as we reach uh, closer and closer to that thousand uh, subscriber threshold on YouTube. Um, you can always email us. So if you have any Major League Baseball questions you'd like for us to answer on a future show, you can email us at uh, Chase Thomas Podcast at gmail.com. Um, as always, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, if that is indeed how you are listening to this very show. We record this on Wednesday, go up uh, every Thursday uh, during the Major League Baseball season, so look out for that uh, for Major League Baseball content on this very feed each and every Thursday morning. Uh, John Taylor. Yes. We have some actual baseball stuff. Um, I had to do a double take, like this isn't even on my notes, so we don't, we have to just I was just perusing um, some differentials and stuff like that. And I was like, man, the Rangers are number two now in Major League Baseball and run differential uh, through, what, 15 games-ish? They've they've had a lot of blowouts from what I yeah. recall. But it was just one of those where I'm like, I wonder if that's a sustainable thing. So I'm going to keep an eye on that uh, for the Rangers. But, John, we yes. start with our favorite. Take graphs. Take graphs. Week two. Yes. Your take of the week the last week with st louis cardinals missing the playoffs was a banger and it looked like it might be true the 8 and 11 cardinals the pirates sitting there at 12 and 7 being feisty even the reds are feisty at like 7 and 12 the brewers might clinch by july even if they don't want to with that 20th uh ranked payroll and they might just continue trading players to get to get out of this they're like what are we doing uh this is not what we wanted um but john taylor what is your take graph take of the week sir well, it's funny you mention the Rangers because I, I think what I've landed on is I think Texas can win the West. Ooh. I think they're a legitimate AL West contender already. And again, it, it's only been 18 games, but you just mentioned the run differential plus 43 mm. right now. The only two teams, uh, the only sorry, only one team has a better run differential right now, and that's the Tampa Bay Rays at plus 83. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cubs, weirdly, the Cubs and Brewers right behind the Rangers, plus 39, plus 35. And, and the Central. Cubs are a terrible home team for whatever reason, I think, right? And yeah, but they, they just finished off a sweep of the A's. They're yeah. eleven and six. Um, you know, they're looking they're looking pretty good so far. But I uh, Hold on, and spit. The, can you look at the the A's point differential through fifteen games? It, it's gonna be a very large number that's gonna make me upset. It's minus seventy something, I know. It's minus eighty six. Is it really? Yeah, because they lost twelve to two today to the uh, to the Cubs. There's no question they're the worst team in baseball. This is like the A's. Or... It's them or the A's. Or Sorry, them or the A's. It's them or the Rockies. They're, I think it's the like, A's, man. The, the Rockies, Rockies at least have a little bit of talent. And they still have that home field bad. advantage where they're going to win some stupid games because of just playing in Coors oh, let's, Field. Let's not forget the Nationals either. Let, let's not leave them out of this particular The Nationals picture. are not. I just, the A's, we don't need to go. We, we don't need to relitigate the A's. Back to the Rangers, John. Okay. Uh, yes, the Rangers. So I, I like what they've done so far. That lineup mm-hmm. has, I know we talked a lot about, you know, is this lineup uh, good enough to contend both after they signed Semyon and Seager and then going into this offseason? So far, so good. I mean, they're, uh, they're going to struggle, like we said last week, replacing Seager for however long he's out. That's just not a guy you replace easily. Uh, and, you know, right now they have issues with Adolis Garcia slumping, Nathaniel Lau, uh, or sorry, Lowe. I've, we have realized we- now... It, it's going to be a tradition unlike any other, John. We're never going to know. Oh, but here's the way. fun thing. It's Nathaniel Lowe and Josh Lowe. And do you know how I know that? How? They're brothers. Oh. I didn't know this. Nathaniel Lowe and Josh Lowe are brothers. I didn't know this. Which was yeah. the one who went to Mississippi State? Is that Lau? Or is Brandon, that one no, of the Brandon Lowe's? No, Brandon Lowe went to Maryland. Okay, then it's one of the Lowe's that's the Mississippi State guy. Okay, well, um, I'm actually just since I have uh, Nathaniel Lowe here. Nathaniel Lowe went to Mississippi State. Okay. Okay. So Lowe is, 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 you know, a 102 OPS plus right now. Fine. Mm. Like I said, Adolis Garcia below 100. They're getting nothing. They're getting really nothing out of the outfield when you add in Ezekiel Duran, Leody Tavares, Robbie Grossman, Josh Smith. 
Padres, Reds, and I want to say there's probably at least two other teams in there. Travis Janka- or cast off Travis Jankowski. Uh, forgot the Phillies, Mets, and Mariners for Jankowski. This is already the sixth team of his career, and he's he's only been in the league like seven seasons. Hmm. Um, a surprisingly competent bat off the bench, but you know they they definitely need some more there. But Semyon looks Semyon has looked great. The combination of Jonah Heim and Mitch Garver, although I guess Heim gets more time, much more time behind the plate than Garver does, and Garver's currently in the injury list, has been great. Josh Young has looked very very good uh, in his I guess we'll call it his rookie season. I know he was up last year, but he didn't get that much run. Um, I think they still do need another bat somewhere in there, in particular when you consider that there's not really, you know, the the Rangers aren't a team, with the exception of Seager, that has anyone kind of sitting on the injured list, and I, I guess to a certain extent Garver, where you're like, oh, when that guy gets back, this isn't like a, a, a Padres with Fernando Tatis situation, where it's like, oh, that, that offense isn't really clicking right now, but they're also about to get Fernando Tatis Jr. back. That's not the case with the Rangers. And that extends down into their minor league system. You know, they don't really have anyone at AAA, I think, who's who's in any position to make any kind of impact. I would say the same is probably true of AA, unless Evan Carter uh, really takes a big step forward. I think he's probably the only guy down there who you're looking at as a potential difference maker. So obviously the big thing for the Rangers right now is just that the pit, how much better the pitching is this year than last. And obviously that's going to happen when you do stuff like give Jacob deGrom a lot of money. But some of it too is just, you know, Andrew Haney and Nate Yavaldi have both been roughly league average, but that's still a big step forward from the likes of, you know, what they were, what they were running out last year between Glenn Otto and Dane Dunning. And I mean, you look at the final uh, ERA plus totals, you know, Martin Perez was easily the staff leader at 136, but then you had John Gray at 99. Glenn Otto at 85, Dane Dunning at 88, then you add in uh, fill-in options like Taylor Hearn, who had a 77 ERA+, plus, uh, Spencer Howard at 54, Cole Raggins at 80, you know, those and those are guys, I think, for the most part, uh, maybe maybe not so much Howard anymore, but those are guys that I think were, were more considered to be part of the Rangers' future, kind of mentioned in the same, maybe the a, a step down, but in the same general breath as uh, Jack Leiter and maybe Kumar Rocker, but you know th- they were not doing the job when the Rangers asked them to do it last year. And I think just having those guys here now makes such a huge difference. And I think you know the, the big the big thing for me is like I think Texas is a real genuine AL West contender so long as those guys Yavaldi, Degrom, Perez, Gray, and Haney all stay healthy together. Because the second they don't, that's when you're going back to Dane Dunning and Glenn Otto and uh, and Taylor Hearn and Cole Raggins and. You know, that's where it all starts to fall apart. Because, again, this lineup, you know, it, it, I think it has performed a little better than expected, but there are still some holes. I don't really think anyone is expecting guys like Ezekiel Duran or Leody Tavares to be anything really better than even league average, maybe, roughly. I imagine Young is probably going to uh, revert to some kind of mean. I mean, he's got a strikeout rate nearing 30%, and he's only walked five times in roughly 70 plate appearances, which is not great. Um Presumably, there's going to be some adjustment for him coming. And again, Seager is out for the next at least three to four weeks. You know, that's a really big hole to try to fill. But the big, I think the biggest reason you can pencil in the Rangers as real contenders right now is because look at the rest of the AL West. Houston is in a similar problem where Texas is, where that lineup just is not very is not very dangerous without a healthy Jose Altuve. You know, the Angels are the Angels. You know, for as much as Mike Trout and Shohei Otani can do, and it's been pretty good so far, that's still a 500 team where you're also not really seeing much in the way of kind of surprise, better-than-expected performance. I think the rotation is actually better than I than I think we all predicted to a certain degree between Otani, uh, Patrick Sandoval, Reed Detmers. Um, you know, that that is a pretty good 1-2-3 right there. But the offense, I don't think, has really been there. And defensively, the Angels are just kind of a mess. And I think that's a big part of why they called up Zach Neto uh, from AA to be their new starting shortstop. Uh, we already mentioned Oakland, which, dear God, that is a really bad team. And then Seattle, which uh, is one of the lowest scoring te- one of the lower scoring teams in baseball right now. Only 85 runs scored. That's pretty, pretty middle of the pack. But that's a big thing for Texas. They have 112 runs scored. Only Tampa Bay has scored more runs than the Rangers have. Hmm. Uh, that's really impressive. And... You know, do I necessarily think that'll hold all season? No, I think that team will go through dips just like every other team does. But there does seem to be useful enough of a core there that if the pitching stays healthy too, I don't see any reason why this team can't be at least around 500, if not better than it, and stay in this race, I mean, as long as possible. Again, because Houston has given every team in the AL West that much of an opening with Altuve out. You know, that that has turned out to be a really critical injury for them on top of the fact that, you know, they're not really getting, I think, the production they would have expected or wanted out of 
uh, Jose Abreu quite yet. I mean, he's, a, he's had a really slow start to the season. Jeremy Pena's had a really slow start to the season. Alex Bregman has had a really slow start to the season. Uh, Chaz McCormick is one of their few bright spots. They just lost him to the injured list with a back problem indefinitely. Like, there is real, there are real issues going on in Houston. They're not getting offense outside of Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker right now. That, I, that also will change, but again, it opens up room for other teams to uh, make a move if possible. You know, ultimately, do you know are the Rangers a favorite? No, I mean the the division odds in our on our site still go to Houston. They have a forty two percent chance to win the division, but Texas is right there after them at twenty eight percent. The Angels at twenty. Here's the real surprise: me the Mariners all the way down at ten percent to win the ALS by our projections. That is a team I think that had to What's take their advantage playoff odds, of that though? slow Houston start. Just twenty five percent. It it is that is a lower playoff odds. Those are lower playoff odds than the Marlins and the Cubs right now. You know, we are well, we are down on Seattle, I think, in part because the Angels and Rangers look, I think, not necessarily better than we projected, but look like they're not going to be immediate pushovers. Well, I think when you look around the league, right, like when we talk about different teams in our preview series, you think about certain situations. And one of the concerns you outlined with Houston was, look, they're they're getting older. A lot of important bodies have departed here. You lose Altuve for the first few months of the season and they're just not a lot of depth. In Houston anymore a lot of those guys have aged out of this farm there's not just ready-made young 23 22 year old star and waiting uh guys in Houston anymore right. they were like the best case scenario the best team in baseball but we talked about like there was a path where if injuries mounted up like this is a team that could really have a season from hell and just miss the playoffs altogether because they're counting on a lot of veteran guys um to make it through and keep this up and because the ALS is gonna be weird our biggest concern though with the rangers was like health it's like hey mm-hmm. they spend a lot of money they are very top heavy but if they're a healthy team for the majority of the year then like yeah they should be there and right now like you said outside of seager they're healthy the angels are just like the one where i'm like this is just early middle of the road 500 baseball you look at it anthony rendon's healthy right now you go up and down the list and you're like all right we'll see um we'll see on this pitching staff we'll see on that i I'm not a big believer in that. And then uh, I just imagine some sort of meme uh, with the Mariners where it's like, what did it cost for Jared Klinik to become a really good MLB hitter? And then it's like the Mariners are just like everything. Um, Because with uh, the rise of Klinik, who we'll talk about in a second, uh, the rest of the offense has not followed suit John Taylor. But I like it. Rangers, uh, serious contender to win the AL West this year. I think it's going to be a fun division to monitor. I don't think the even if the Astros get back and folks, let me remember when people throw this out there. It's a common talking point in mid-April. Is like, hey, it's early, folks. Games these games count. matter just as much come November, like the or October, September. Like these games matter. So when you're dropping these, you're putting yourself in a hole. You say that not everyone just becomes the Washington Nationals of 2019, where it's nope. like we're or the fu- or the A's from every year from like 2003 till about 2015. <laughs> right. Sometimes it's like, oh, we're 25 games in, and they're an average to below average ball club. Some of those teams never get right. The majority, I would say, of those teams, when they show you who they are, that might be kind of who they are, and that might be who the the Astros are this year. It could, and like in a similar vein, like, you know, oh, it's early, it's April. The Rays already have a, a four and a half game lead <laughs> in the AL East. Mm-hmm. You know, those games still count. Like that is a four and a half game deficit that the, that the Blue Jays need to make up or a five yep. game de- deficit that the Orioles or Yankees need to make up. You know, th- that is an already existing gap. And again, no way, you know, I bring up our playoff odds because those playoff odds take those games into consideration while also projecting forward. You know, so those games are baked into our odds. You know, when I say, oh, the Mariners only have a 25% chance of making the playoffs, that is including the games they've already played. That takes into account the fact that they got off to a, a an 8 and 10 start. I think they're they're playing right now where that game just finished, so I don't know if they're still 8 and 10 uh, right now being uh, Wednesday evening. But regardless, like, you know, th- those, are, those are the odds going forward from this point. We have Seattle projected to win just 80 games going forward in part because they got off to an 8 and 10 start. You know, that changes the calculus going forward. For sure. Um, Zach Nato, though, called up by the Angels. What are your early thoughts on him, and what do you think he can be for Los Angeles? And should fans of the Angels look at this of like, hey, we can still trust in some of these young guys, even if they're still uh, permanently scarred from uh, the Joe Adele situation? 
Yeah, and, and I think what's curious with the Angels is this is very much their their thing, so to speak. Um, excuse me, that they are, at least on the Perry Manassian Angels, you know, their current mm. general manager, very much a believer in calling guys up or pushing guys through the system when they, sh- when they show they're ready and not really worrying about, oh, how old are they or whatnot. You know, NATO is only 22 years old. Uh, he actually, we actually share a birthday, except he was he is 14 years younger than I am, which doesn't at all make me feel like I want to crawl into a coffin. Uh, he was only drafted last summer out of Campbell University, not exactly mm-hmm. a baseball powerhouse. You know, his minor Hold on, league... they did give uh, Tennessee a run for their money in the regionals last year. And there is our there is our contractually obligated mention of Tennessee baseball. I think they had a player drafted in the first round last year. Sure. It was NATO. Oh, it was NATO. I guess yeah. it was NATO. He was the number 13 pick of last year's draft. That's insane. That was NATO. Go. I just put two and two together. I just forgot. I was like, they actually had a really good player who gave us hell. Yeah, that was like NATO. Okay, the there you go. Big, big South represent. Yeah. Uh, his minor league career consists of a grand total of 44 games and 201 <laughs> plate appearances. Like, this is, a, this is a rush promotion by pretty much any definition. But mm-hmm. again, this is what the Angels did last year with Chase Silseth. Who was the eleventh round pick, or an eleventh, the eleventh pick? Either what is this? Sorry, he was a pick in the yes, an eleventh round pick in the twenty twenty one draft out of Arizona. He was making mm. his major league debut a year later. Uh, Logan Ohapi, the or is it? I, I, I'm, Don't I'd, ask me, John. I was going to say I'm just going to. It is Ohapi, so okay. I, I was really. I really hope it's not just Ohap because Ohapi is so much funnier. Mm. Uh, Logan Ohapi, a twenty third round pick back in twenty eighteen. Obviously, back with the Phillies, they got him as part of the Brandon Marsh deal. He had he has never played in AAA. Mm-hmm. You know the the Angels brought him straight up from Double A to the majors. He's their starting catcher now, and he's played pretty well. So I think in that sense, this is kind of par for the course of the Angels. Is if they see a young guy who's making an impact down in the in the minors, and they they feel like they have a hole in the major league roster that that young pl- player can fill, they're going to do it. And in Neto's case, that is shortstop because the Angels didn't really have a shortstop that was kind of one of the things going into the season where when you looked at uh the angels depth chart you you know kind of looking at shortstop and going what exactly is the plan here because is it really david fletcher because that's not a good idea uh turns out the angels agree david fletcher is not a good idea he's the guy who lost his uh roster spot in in netto's place part of this too is that the other options are guys like luis rangifo or playing geo or shella at shirt or at short or maybe pushing Brandon Jury over there. Those are not viable solutions and the Angels are actually in a position where again, every game counts for them, you know, yeah. where they are, you know, given where they are uh in the West in the division, where they are uh, relative to the rest of the league, every win counts for them. I, you know, I I I'm not a prospect guy, so I can't say with any certainty to any degree or another whether Neto is a good call up, whether he's ready for this, what necessarily he'll do for them. Uh, just reading through the scouting report from our top 100 list, where he was number 61, I believe, on our top 100, uh, a, f- a 50 future value player. If you don't know what future value is, it's basically our 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 number on the 2080 scouting scale as to where we can expect a guy to end up uh, career-wise. So that 50 a 50 future value. Uh, basically means an everyday starter. We have him projected as an everyday second baseman with plus plus uh, plus plus grades or plus grades on on his run tool and on his uh, future hit and power tools. Right now, it's a lot of forty and forty five across the board. So you're talking about a guy who probably is not like this isn't. And I should know too. This was not a guy along the lines of like Julio Rodriguez, who was just going to be a star from the get go, or Adley Rutschman. Mm. You know, that's not Zach Neto. That you know, again, coming from a small school, and you know, not a guy who has superb tools across the board. He has very good tools. Uh, our our Eric Longenhagen, our, our prospect expert noted that uh, Neto has a good feel for contact despite a really big swing. And if you haven't seen him swing, he does a huge, like, 30s-style leg kick Yes, um, that is actually really fun to, to watch. This is hilarious that it's the same guy. Because I was like, there, it can't be the same guy who was just there last year. Is like immediately, I didn't, I could not believe I didn't exactly. put two together. And that's the thing. This is what the Angels do. If they mm-hmm. think you're ready, you're ready. And they don't really care whether or not, you know. It, it's almost the, the polar opposite of the Nationals who will just let guys repeat levels like three years in a row before <laughs> actually moving them up. Mm-hmm. Regardless, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to put necessarily, uh, you know, a comparable on Neto. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric notes that, you know, he has the same kind of leg kick and hand load as Javi Baez, but I assume not nearly the same level of inability to stop chasing. 
But I think what you could probably expect is something along the lines of league average offense and probably something close to league average defense. That doesn't sound very exciting, but keep in mind, again, the Angels were using David Fletcher at shortstop. They were using Luis Rangifo there. They were using, uh, you know, they didn't have even so much as that. So I think for the Angels, it's let's shore this up. Let's see what this kid can do. And maybe he gets hot and, and, you know, Clearly, they love his talent. They love what he can do. So I think they feel like the floor here is at least, like, you know, better than replacement level. And the ceiling is quite a bit higher than that, which is more than can be said for any of their other options. So I I think with that in mind, it is a sensible thing for the Angels to do, especially because this early in the season, you know, there's no real trade to be struck, you know, to improve yourself at a position that isn't working right now. You just kind of have to sort through your internal options. And then, you know, if the Angels are still in this position two months from now or three months from now or you know as we get closer to the trade deadline you know maybe then we start talking about okay what do they actually do at shortstop if Neto isn't working but for now give it to Neto and and see what he can do I mean it's a hilarious again like I am a I'm a fan of just teams doing different things like some teams operate like the Braves some teams operate like the Astros some teams operate like the Yankees some teams operate like the Rays some teams operate like the Angels, where they're just like, fuck it, call them mm-hmm. up. Like, I just, I appreciate that. Now, as a prospect, would I be a little bit nervous? Sure. Does my man, be, Ben Joyce, being in that system right now, and someone who's probably a prime candidate to get a summer call-up uh, for the Angels, does that scare me? Sure. I'd but, say it's I'd say it's 100% Joyce makes his MLB debut this season. Unless oh, yeah. Hurt. Like, I just don't know what you're waiting on. Uh, and shout out to the Joyce family, because his... Uh, brother just i think blew out his arm uh, well i think because i think too that you know if you look at potential problem areas for the angels bullpen is the bullpen is definitely one of them you know and i think that a guy like joyce who throws as hard as he does who has the the stuff he does it if the angels really are in this chase you know and i think like what you're saying there is it's to a similar point it's like if you're an angels fan you want this team to be aggressive with these kinds of guys too Mm -hmm. you know this is probably their last season with shohei otani and by probably i mean almost certainly you know mike trout is obviously not getting younger there is not really uh, that much else when it comes to like elite young talent on that team, with the exception of maybe some of the pitching staff. This, you know, this this is a time for them to get aggressive. And I and I know, like you said at the beginning, you know, there there are some Angels fans out there scarred by Joe Adele. But I think the thing with Adele too was we had plenty of evidence in the minor leagues that he had not really mastered any kind of plate discipline or or pitch recognition, and that really showed when he got to the major league level and was just swinging and missing at everything. There's mm-hmm. a chance Adele is just a quad A bat, but that you know, may not reflect so much on the Angels as him, but either way, I think, you know, you have to treat every prospect as their own individual player, obviously, and I think with Neto, I I imagine the Angels have not seen that same sense of like, oh, this guy, you know, really, you know, he'll demolish a fastball, but if you just keep throwing him, breaking off speed pitches, he won't know what to do. Obviously, we'll see, you know, what happens as we go along, but I, I think this is like, like I said, it's something kind of the Angels almost have to do. You know, this is this is the kind of move that a team like they like like the like this that is kind of in that projected 500-ish territory. You know, if you want to try to make that that bounce upward, this is what you do. You start adding potential impact talent, and I, again, there you weren't going to get. I, I can't imagine you were going to get anything better than like an 80 OPS plus and bad defense out of David Fletcher going forward. So, in a sense, why not call up the kid and see what he can do? There you go. Uh, short answer, uh, John Taylor. And let me go ahead and tell this because you need two Mookie Betts ref- or two Tennessee references on the program to really know that you're listening to the Chase Thomas podcast um, at any given moment. Did sure. you know Mookie Betts was going to be a volunteer if he didn't go pro in high school? I, I did. The Red Sox yeah. gave him a very uh, sizable signing bonus to uh, sign directly out of high school. Yeah, well. And they are very. they were very smart to do so. Well, uh, disagree and uh, did not enjoy that. So hopefully the same does not happen to Manny Ramirez's son. Did you know he's committed to the Vols right now? I did not know that. Yeah, so we'll see if he gets drafted early enough where he won't do it. But I need that in my life, John. I need Manny Ramirez in the stands with me for a Tennessee baseball game. You need, you need Manny Ramirez, Tennessee manager. Oh, my goodness. Him and Botello just back co-managing? No, just it'd be so much fun. I hope it happens. Um, all that being said, Mookie coming back from paternity leave from, uh, for the Dodgers, he might play short, it turns out. And that, the reason I brought up the Tennessee thing was because that's what he was going to do at the college level. Like he was going to be an infielder, whether that was second or short, 
that was ultimately what he was probably going to end up with. And I think in the Boston system, that was the plan too, right? And then there was just a need. So he found his way into the outfield and the rest is history. Do I have it right? That is true. He was initially a second base prospect, a middle infield prospect, but moved to the outfield in part because of the presence of Dustin Pedroia Mm -hmm. um, and then just stuck out there because he turned into a gold glove winner at the in one of the single most difficult outfields to play in. So Mm -hmm. I think I think the Red Sox just felt like if it ain't broke, don't mess with it. Do you like this idea of putting Mookie at short at this point in his career and where the Dodgers are both in their outfield depth and also just with where their needs are and just where they are as a team at the moment so no i look i love this just generally i really am interested to see what mookie Betts does at shortstop Mm -hmm. but i can't imagine that this is what the dodgers had in mind and granted this is in part because their first string shortstop went down in spring training with the season-ending knee injury Mm -hmm. their second string shortstop is currently on the injured list uh, miguel rojas their third string shortstop is Chris Taylor, who felt something in his side during a game either yesterday or the day before, and is probably going to be out for at least a few days, if not also on the injured list. So Mookie is their fourth string option to a certain degree, probably fifth string if you put him behind whoever it was playing shortstop for the Dodgers today. I think it was Yanni Hernandez or Luke Williams, neither of whom I have ever heard of before. So this is not obviously what the Dodgers want. I think it reflects more than anything an incredible uh, willingness on Mookie Betts' part to, to do whatever the team needs, and also just a testament to his insane athleticism that that's, this is even a realistic possibility. But I have a really hard time seeing this being uh, any kind of like long-term like, solution. It, it's just not, you know? It, it, if anything, it just speaks to a lot, I think, of where the Dodgers are with shortstop. And again, this is... Mookie is like option number four or five, but at this point, option number one, given that Gavin Lux is not coming back this season, is Miguel Rojas, and that's fine, but again, one of those things where, you know, when we talked about the Dodgers during the offseason, it was that constant refrain of, you know, are they really going to go into the season like this, and, and that was even, I think, even before Lux got hurt. And I, I want to acknowledge there's a difference between the guys the Dodgers were going into the season with, like Miguel Vargas and James, and, uh, James Altman who are, you know, at least legitimate guys who've been developed through that system versus the kind of feel of, well, let's just sign David Peralta and Jason Hayward and just see what comes of it. You know, that's that's different. But I think, if anything, Mookie, you know, the fact that Mookie might actually play shortstop is a pretty good sign that the Dodgers are going to need to do something about shortstop if they, you know, for contention purposes. And I, you know, maybe that is less so the case when... You know, they feel like they have the entire lineup or the entire roster, you know, healthy and clicking in a way that that works for them. At the same time, you know, I I, I don't know that they I I think this team prefers Rojas as a utility option. I don't think they want him starting at shortstop on a regular basis. Any Saint franchise should yes. want in twenty twenty three. Yes, this is this is also not necessarily a a surprise or some kind of crazy line of thinking that they don't want Miguel Rojas starting on the regular. Mm. The problem is if it's not Rojas starting on the regular, then it's Chris Taylor, which one eliminates a lot of the positional versatility that he brings to the team that makes him so valuable, and two, Chris Taylor has pit, has hit and it's early, but he has hit really poorly this season. And he looks like someone who may you know who may now be. I mean, he's thirty two years old. He'll be thirty three. In August, you know, I think we're looking pretty squarely at the decline phase of Chris Taylor's career. You know, his OPS plus figures last three seasons, uh, 107 in 2021, 87 in 2022, uh, 61 so far this year with 18 strikeouts and 45 plate appearances. That is a ton. And that's, this is, Chris Taylor always struck out a lot, but mm. that is that is absolutely, that, that's to the point of unplayable. You know, that's a, that's a 40% strikeout rate. That's just not doable. So if it's not going to be Chris Taylor, and I'm pretty sure at this point it shouldn't, that's even leaving aside the defensive side of it, where I I can imagine that whatever metrics are out there probably do not support Chris Taylor as a starting shortstop, then what's your option? Is it Luke Williams, a a waiver claim from the Marlins back in November? Is it Yanni Hernandez, who was bought off of the A's back in December? You know, is it someone even further down in the system? I I don't even think that's necessarily an actual possibility for them. They have their AAA shortstop in the majors right now. You know it is, John. Is it, it mean it should have been Trey Turner, but who is it? It's Javi Baez. It's okay. Look, I it's mean, Javi Baez. I'll root for it because I think Baez is genuinely one of those dudes where both the change of scenery and playing for a contending team 
will bring the better or will bring better out of him. Maybe not the best, but will at least bring better out of him. But if you're the Dodgers, I mean, how comfortable do you feel gambling that the solution to your problems at shortstop is Javi Baez? And not to say not just Javi Baez, but the contract that Javi Baez carries. I mean, let me remind you that Javi Javi Baez, who he hasn't opt out this winter, but I think he'd be if he exercises it, I think that's a fair point where you say, Javi, like, we need to get you into a doctor's office. Uh, he is still owed another roughly just over $100 million from here through 2027. But if there's a team that would eat it. That's not ideal. If there's a team who would eat it, it's the Dodgers. But that's the thing. That's past tense because I don't think this current Dodgers team Hmm. wants to eat any more payroll. You know, they they made such a huge attempt to get under the luxury tax during the offseason, which the Trevor Bauer suspension reduction blew up for them. Regardless, I don't think they're in, they have any interest in pushing any further above where they already are relative to the luxury tax because of the penalties that brings. To say nothing of, and, and I know Baez is just a, an option, not, not you know he's not the only solution, but you know say they do pick up Baez, that's $100 million committed in the future now that cannot go toward, say, Shohei Otani or toward re-signing Julio Urias or toward handing an extension to you know whichever young player they feel needs an extension, you know? I don't know that the most optimal use of the Dodgers' money, if they are in fact now considering it to be a, a finite pool of resources as opposed to an endless money printing machine, you know, if a guy like Javi Baez is really the most sensible option. So I'll be really interested what the Dodgers do going forward at shortstop because it, it, it just can't be Mookie going forward. Just, you know, that, that, I don't, that does not feel realistic to me. Similarly, I don't know how comfortable they would be just saying Miguel Rojas is the starter and that's that. The defense is probably fine. You're not going to get anything offensively out of that. You know, can this, can the Dodgers survive that? Maybe, but I think they would be better placed to survive that with the rosters they had in years previous. This roster, you're already relying on a bunch of different guys like Altman, like not, not just Altman and Vargas, where I think they, they feel better about those guys performing, but guys like, okay, JD Martinez, 36 years old, he's going to turn the clock back, right? Or Jason Hayward, 34 years old, we figured out his swing. David Peralta, 36 years old, well, he can still contribute a bit, like, uh, regular, I mean, Will Smith being on the injured list hurts a little, but, you know, Austin mm. Barnes, regular catcher. Yeah, we can make that work. Austin wins? How do the, how do the, how do the Dodgers have two catchers named Austin? That's amazing. Hmm. Uh, Noah Syndergaard. Yeah, sure, we can figure that out. He pitched pretty well today, but at the same time, there are a lot of ifs on this Dodgers roster, and I don't know if it is necessary, I don't know if they want to add one more to that pile with, well, if Rojas stays healthy, we'll get enough out of him, right? That's tough. But it makes it fun, because the Dodgers being their backs against the wall is fascinating um, because I just, I'm very curious to see how Andrew Friedman goes about this because John Taylor insert police siren here. It's I like that. It's April 19th and our, our Arizona Diamondbacks are in first place in the NL West, John with a negative seven run differential. (laughs) I just would like to note that. That being said, John, how we said before the year, they were the ultimate, like, I think the floor is pretty high with them. Mm-hmm. I think they're just too competent. I think they have too many good young pieces. I think they're just going to be, like, there's no way. I, I didn't see a path for them to be bad. Like, the Rockies, the path to them being awful was quite clear, mm-hmm. crystal clear. The Diamondbacks, I thought, was gonna, they were going to flirt with 500. I think you and I said we would not be surprised if this was a wild card contender going into September, October. I don't think they're winning the NL West. So let me put no. that caveat out there. But I'm not sure there's a bigger benefactor from the Giants already having the season from hell and looking like a team that is going towards the seller's market this summer. I mean, I don't know who's had... A, is, is there a team in Major League Baseball that's had a worse year for a fan base than the San Francisco Giants thus far? With uh, everything Red, that happened in the offseason and then the start, like just Red Sox fans aren't having much more fun. Let me tell but, you like, that. Like you weren't close to contending. Like the Giants have overachieved the last couple years, and they thought this offseason was like, "Hey, we're officially challenging the Dodgers. We paid Logan Webb. We have our ace. We're gonna sign Carlos Correa. We're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. We're close. We're gonna have this moment where it's Giants Dodgers going at it, going ninety plus wins." That's not happening. The Giants, I just feel like, are having... Giants fans are... Just hug your Giants fans if you know. Fun fact, Giants have a better run differential right now than Arizona does. Yeah. Wins only, though, John. Wins only. (laughs) 
I mean, look, I, I think you're right about Arizona that the floor is high enough that they came into the season as a realistic wild card contender, and so far that looks to be the case. Even with um, half their lineup really is just not hitting at all, like including Christian Walker, including Gabriel Moreno, including Alec Thomas, including Jake McCarthy. Uh, so far, it really has been the Josh Rojas and Corbin Carroll show, which is kind of mm. strange, with some minor contributions from Kettle Marte. Uh, similarly, pitching-wise, Zach Allen is, is off to a great start again. Merrill Kelly has looked really good. Ryan Nelson has been solid. I think the big problem there is Madison Bumgarner, who got absolutely torched today and has an ERA over 10. I really wonder how much longer Arizona can keep going with that. Uh, similarly, in the fifth spot right now, that's Dre Jamison, who looked really good as a multi-inning reliever, less so as a starter. Curious at what point uh, Arizona decides to call up Brandon Fott, their number one pitching prospect. I have to imagine it's sooner rather than later. Again, between uh, Bumgarner's horrible struggles and Jamison maybe being better suited to relief than anything else, uh, you know, that Fott is there waiting potentially is, is you know, I, I think that's a big option that they have going forward. Regardless, you know, I, I think what you like about Arizona is offensively, this is a pretty steady team, even with a bunch of guys slumping right now. I don't think Christian Walker is going to have a, a sub 600 OPS all season. I don't think Alec Thomas and Jake McCarthy are going to have a combined OPS plus of 67 the entire season. You know, one of those guys might actually be the second coming of Jackie Bradley Jr. But regardless, I don't think the other is going to be an exact clone of that. We shall see. Um and I, I do like what they have pitching staff-wise. I think if there are a few areas of concern for the Diamondbacks, like I said, the back of the rotation is one right now. And realistically, I don't, ex you know, Merrill Kelly has an ERA under three and a FIP over four. I can tell you which one I think is going to be more reflective of him going forward. Uh, similarly, Ryan Nelson, an ERA of 371, a FIP of 455, you know, not really striking anyone out. I do wonder, again, Fott is an option for them to call up. I do wonder if they do need to make another move somewhere in there, if they do want to get another starter. Um, but you know, right now they have a good bench that they can deploy in many ways. Paven Smith has been really great for them as a lefty bat off the bench. Evan Longoria has looked good as a kind of, uh, more of like a, a kind of the second starter at third base behind Josh Rojas. Uh, Nick Ahmed and Geraldo Perdomo are switching off at shortstop and doing a very nice job there. But I think you're probably looking at, they want to probably get another, another pitcher back. I don't know if it's going to be Zach Davies, but he's on the shelf for at least a little bit longer. Same, similarly, uh, bullpen wise, Andrew Chafin has been good, but the rest of that group has not been particularly great. I think that was probably the area of most concern coming into the season for the Diamondbacks. They have not really had a good bullpen in the last few seasons. I think it continues so far. Good news is obviously a bullpen is one of the easier things to quote unquote fix. You know, that's mm. something where uh, you'd make a tr you make a couple trades for a few for a couple relievers shouldn't cost them too much from their farm system. And it is a pretty good productive farm system right now. Obviously, it just put out they, you know, they've just they called up Carroll. Uh, they have Thomas, you know, they have uh, Jamison. I have now said Brandon Fott's name roughly 6000 times. Uh, Jordan Lawler further down in their system, you know, and obviously the big the big name there is number one pick Drew Jones. Mm. Uh, who will be, you know, who will eventually, I mean, that is a, a junior if you're Drew Jones. Cause I've been wondering this. It's like, if, if there's no way Drew Jones is not short for Andrew Jones jr. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, that's what I do wonder if that's a decision on his part though, that he yeah. wants to be Drew Jones and not Andrew Jones jr. Cause that's a tough one. Um, you're well, right. Of, like, name, if you're Fernando Tatis jr. Do you want to be just rename yourself coming back to the league? And because just, you're getting just, booed a lot. And, he could be uh, Nando. Ooh. Nando um, the Relentless, because he oh, never Oh, speaking relents. of, that's the final maybe move. Like, the chaos move is Fernando Tatis to the Dodgers, John. I thought you were going to say the final move is Fernando Tatis 2. Like, <laughs> literally, he renames himself Fernando Tatis the second. That would be cool. So that would actually kind of rule. And for that's what it's worth, uh, Drew Jones' full name is, in fact, Andrew Jones. Okay. So you get to decide, uh, basically, if you're... Yeah, and I think... And, I, and look, that's, that's you know, fair play fair play to him. Like, that, I think that is, you know, if you want to try to stand out from your super famous dad, who was a mm. literal, like, probable Hall of Famer... Yeah. Different name might help. Yeah. Regardless, you know, I think, and like you said, that what helps Arizona a lot is that, you know, yes, there is competition in the NL West. There's the Dodgers, there are the Padres who have not gone off to a great start, but, you know, I think with the talent that's on that team and with Machado and back, company are not going to hit this poorly all season long. No, no, I, I wouldn't expect that. And I think regardless of how San Diego looks, I think you can always be certain that AJ Preller will do literally anything <laughs> in his capacity to add whatever he feels like he needs to add. Darvish to has team. been awesome. Darvish Blake's has been great. Kind of Blake's, bad. Blake's still kind of bad, but they got Joe Musgrove coming back on yeah. Saturday. Finally, um, that's going to be a big boost for them. They got Tatis coming back. Obviously, it's going to be an enormous boost as well, given how he just tortured AAA pitching for like two yeah. straight weeks. Um, and the fan base. And the fan base. <laughs> the fan base is that he was going around. 
on the flip side of things, yeah. Colorado is a terrible team, and I don't think they're going to be anywhere near contention. And San Francisco, like I said, you know, for as much as they have a better run differential than Arizona right now, um, a team that does not look complete, I think, in a sense, that has a lot of holes on the roster, that, you know, has an offense that has not really produced all that much. Uh, but, you know, I, I think if nothing else... The, the space is there for Arizona to make some kind of run. The problem mm. they're going to run into, obviously, is that, you know, of course, it's early, but the NL wildcard race, you know, if you were to look at the teams in the league right now and also who's theoretically avail- who's theoretically going to be in that contention, you're talking about whoever's losing the East, which right now is the Mets, the Phillies, and Miami, which has looked... Well, Miami's above 500, but they also have a run differential of negative 26, which is the second worst in the, in the National League, so that's probably not going to hold on. Speaking of, can I tell you there's a random super Miami Marlins fan in Knoxville, Tennessee that I ran into last night, John? That's delightful. It was so weird. Like I saw, I heard someone yell cheering for a Jazz Chisholm three home run, uh, three homer, three run homer last night as I'm watching Tennessee on one TV and the Hawks in the other. And I'm like, what in the world is happening? Who's yelling about? And there was a super fan. I never thought I'd see like a Miami Marlins super fan in Knoxville, but they exist. Was it the financial criminal Jeffrey Loria? It was not. Okay. It was a younger guy. Yeah. Um, but you know, beyond the Mets and the Phillies, you also have, uh, the NL central contenders. So right now that looks like Chicago. And I know I said St. Louis is not going to make the playoffs, but I, you know, they're the Cardinals. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say never. No, with stick with take graphs, John, <laughs> stick with the take. You can't go back on the take a week after. Stick and then with there's the take. Pittsburgh. Then there's Pittsburgh. Do you know who is tied for the most runs scored in the national league right now? The Pittsburgh pirates. Go pirates. Go pirates. Guys, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, Does Bar- Brian Reynolds get a statue if he stays? I think he gets to become mayor of Pittsburgh, right? Um, and then, of course, like we mentioned, they're in the rest of the NLS, the Dodgers and the the Dodgers and the Padres, and if they can figure it out, the Giants. There are a lot of potential contending teams in there. Yeah. But like we were saying with with before, these games matter, these wins matter, and Arizona is already off to an. Uh, well, I guess no. The MLB is counting the is is counting the game they played against St. Louis today, where St. Louis demolished them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're at eleven and eight right now. Those games count. So, and I think, you know, do I expect say, uh, the Cardinal or the Cardinals, the Diamondbacks, to be, you know, World Series contender, division contender? No, not particularly. Do I expect them to be in the thick of the wild card race? Yeah, I think so. The last thing here, John, as we wrap up with our uh, Wednesday night edition here on the Chase on Podcast, and the dog is back. The dog is here. He was crying, so I. I, I heard him to, a little bit. And what was yeah, his name again? I wanted Ezra. This is Ezra, Ezra. That's right. Ezra. I like it. Hey, Ezra. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Out of context, Chase Thomas Podcast. You love it. Uh, John, this should make you feel good. Uh, it'll be position player F4 leaders as of Monday morning. I jotted this down when I was looking through some stuff this week. Ronald Acuna Jr. He's in the top three, obviously. Wander Franco. And let me look. Hold on. Let me squint. Hold on, John. Is that... Is that it's an X name. Xander... Why are we doing this? Why? Zan, what Xander did I, what Bogart. Did, what did I do to deserve these kinds of, of horrid... Is that realities. right? Xander Bogarts? Was he at Red Sox? Uh, look, and then, hold on. Let me see something else. This is from MLB.com. Quote, let me get this right. Before Sunday, no Sox starter had gone more than five innings, marking the first time in the club's history that happened in the first 15 games of a season. Not just go. that. The Red Sox were the last team in Major League Baseball to have a starter go six innings. Oh, my God. The, go rotation's, Sox, been, the rotation's been a bit of a problem, to say the Whitlock least. Whitlock looks good, though, right? Yeah, Garrett Whitlock had a great second start. Yeah. He he didn't look good in his first start, but that was right off the injured list after a pretty limited spring training. Uh, so I'm going to give him a mulligan on that one. I think the big thing for me, Red Sox wise, going forward, the state of the rotation is mm. Chris Sale start on Tuesday against the Twins, six innings, eleven strikeouts. Obviously, the strikeout numbers are great, but what I really loved about that start was the velocity, throwing mm. 94, 93, 94 on the regular, maxing at 96. That's not necessarily the Chris Sale of old, but it's way better than the Chris Sale that they had gotten through the first three starts of the season and what they had gotten in limited doses uh, post-Tommy John. That is going to be... If there, there's a chance for this Red Sox team to contend, and I don't really hmm. think that there is much of one. Again, our, our postseason odds right now have Boston with a 21.2% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, not great. But... I do think if there is any road to this team contending in any capacity whatsoever, it has to involve a healthy Chris Sale who is throwing as close to the old Chris Sale as he can get. So hmm. that was a really nice, that was really good to see uh, out of him yesterday. 
bigger con- rest of the concerns, not a great pitching staff, getting nothing out of Masataki Yoshida or Tristan Cassis right now, which is a little bit of a problem. But, uh, hey, with as badly as this team has played to a certain degree, especially given how they got steamrolled by Tampa, uh, 500 right now? Only six and a half games out of first place? Only a game and a half out of a second wild Don't card do spot? this, John. The AL East is not happening. Oh, my God, John. Don't do this to yourself. Di- they have a better run differential than, like, okay, not a whole lot of teams, <clears throat> plus three. But it's still plus. It's still plus. It's still plus. Still I love it. run differential. I didn't think we'd get positive John here. I mean, socks. look, these are a, there are a lot of qualifiers on my positivity, but mm. I, I will just I will just at least recognize that when it comes to Sale in particular, uh, who had looked very very bad so far, you know that he looked not just better but looked better in a way that is hopefully sustainable. That if those if that velocity increase sticks, that's sustainable. You know that is something that should make him better going forward. There you go. Uh, John, the final team for us here in our team spotlight, the Colorado Rockies. What has happened in the last week? Are they getting worse? What's going on with the Rockies? What's our Rockies check-in look like here? Well, they lost today to the Pirates like 13 to (laughs) 1, so there's that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I watched Austin Gomber give up, I think every ball hit in play against him except for one was hit 95 miles an hour or harder. That's not a real name. Say that one more time. Austin Gomber. He was one of the big pieces that Mm. they got back from the Cardinals in the Nolan Arenado trade, which is low-key going down as one of the worst trades of the last (laughs) decade. Who could if have ever seen that one? I know, just everyone the at the time. losing a trade? The Rockies losing a trade that everyone at the time was like, this is a terrible decision that you guys have made? Yeah, I look, I, I don't know what Rockies check-in there needs to be beyond. This is a franchise that still doesn't know what it's doing. Mm. Or at least thinks it knows. I don't know if what's worse. Doesn't know what it's doing or thinks it knows what it's doing, but in reality does not know what it's doing. Um, the Rockies don't know what they're doing. Like, yeah. whatever, whatever progress they make when it comes to stuff like, oh, they let Ezekiel Tovar, a rookie start the season at shortstop instead of plugging in some washed-up veteran and holding him down in the minor leagues for absolutely no reason. Great. But then Tovar comes out and has an OPS of, like, 450 through the early part of the season. And again, it's early, but it's like... And that's not the Rockies' fault, but... I don't know, like... This well, can we just... mention some of this? So they have exactly three good hitters. And it's Elias Diaz, Charlie Blackman, and Chris Bryant. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it right now. Chris Bryant, who just the other day hit his first home run at Coors Field as a Rockies <laughs> player. Again, this is not a franchise that knows what it's doing. John, Jerks and Profar, awful. Harold Castro, awful. CJ Crone, awful. You don't need that. Ryan McMahon, awful. And like, like some just, of these... Mike Mustakis, awful. But it's like think some of these guys will be better. I think Ryan McMahon and CJ Crone should be better. Mm. But like on the other hand, like what are you realistically expecting out of Mike Mustakis? Out of Elias Diaz, out of a th- out of a 49-year-old Charlie Blackman, like out yeah. of Jerks and Profar, who didn't sign until late March. Like, I think Jose Urena might be bad. Uh, he's one of the worst pitchers in baseball, and yet the <laughs> Rockies, for some reason, decided that he was a good idea to shove into their rotation. Again, like, this is just, I don't, at a certain point, like, the, the, what fascinates me about Colorado is, like, where, it, like, it, I, I want, like, a detailed breakdown of all the, like, it, is it, is it, I, what I'm, I think what I'm trying to say is, it feels like a combination of so many different things that even if you just magically made the Rockies better at player development, they're mm. still not going to be a good team because they're still bad at evaluating free agents. They're bad at developing pitchers. They're bad. They're bad at everything. They're just bad yeah. at everything. And I think your Rockies check-in is basically the same as it's, as it's been for a bit now, until and unless the ownership situation of this team changes and the Monforts are no longer in charge because they are very clearly uh, Artie Moreno level meddlers and idiots. I think until they're no longer in charge, you're not. You shouldn't expect any different from this team. What I'm really curious to see is when does the attendance start to get impacted? Hmm. This is a team that consistently has drawn well over the last pretty much forever, despite these teams not being any good in the last really 15 years, largely because of the fact that going to a Rockies game is just a fun time. You know, Coors is a great ballpark. It's a really nice experience. You get a cool view of the mountains and you get to drink a lot and it's whatever. Hmm. But today's attendance for their game against the Pirates, granted a Wednesday matinee against a, a projected last place team that has no stars, they only drew about 19,000 people, one of their lowest attendance figures in the last 20 years of Rockies baseball. You know, and I don't really see much reason to think that this Rockies team is going to give people any particular specific reason to come to the ballpark. You know, there's not a pitcher you're coming to see 
on any given night. There's not a hitter on the level of like an Otani where you're like, ooh, I have to see this guy. This guy is a... No, you're, the best hitter on the team is probably Chris Bryant. Nobody's coming to the ballpark to see Chris Bryant. I mean, I would probably go to the ballpark to see Chris Bryant. But that's he's seen those eyes? Exactly. But Pretty dreamy. I think that this is going to be the real thing that, that tells us where the Rocky or what happens to the Rockies going forward because if those attendance numbers really do start to slip and they stay below kind of what's been expected, that that has to have some kind of impact somewhere. And I think what's helped the Monforts kind of dodge a lot of the kind of, we'll call it bad press, but deservedly so, that has been directed the way of like Bob Nutting and the Pirates or uh, some of the other like cheapo franchises in baseball is the fact that they keep drawing well attendance-wise, that people are still going to the games. Because it's a and great place to go watch a game. It's a great place to go like watch a gorgeous. game. gorgeous. Like, yeah, it should be great. It's, I've been there. It's a fantastic place to watch the game. But if but if that is the lone reason that people have been coming and that's now giving way because people are like, look, like, at a certain point, like, we need something worth watching and the Rockies aren't giving us anything worth watching. Then maybe that cha- maybe that changes how, how the Monforts are, are viewed. But, I mean, I don't but know. What's the I, most random night like uh you know we were talking about to bring it all home here like the uh like come some sort of random colorado rockies like brad hop night is it do you go jeff francis night what could we do to get butts in seats what's the most random thing they could do that's colorado rocky friendly well they're saying i mean they have ryan spillboards as as their color guy on their broadcast just do a spilly night have it be have it be in conjunction with Twitter and SB Nation legend at I am Spilly. Okay. Have him and Ryan Spielbergs make a disgusting meal together. I think that would be great. That would be great. I like that. John Taylor, as we wrap up your, your fan graphs, pick of the week that everyone should go check out if they have not already. Uh, my fan graphs pick of the week for the thing I've liked most so far uh, through the week I really like Jay Jaffe breaking down Salt Lake City's surprising bid for a major league. He's from there, right? He is from Salt Lake City, Mm -hmm. so that gives him, I think he has both, he has a personal connection that he explored. He's also one of the few people I've seen bring up uh, one of the big, really big X factors for Salt Lake City, and it feels really weird saying this, but the fact that the Great Salt Lake is literally drying up and releasing toxic particles into the atmosphere as it does so, Yeah, not sure how Major League Baseball deals with that. Uh, there are many reasons that a Salt Lake City Major League Baseball expansion team would be unprecedented, I think is definitely one word, uh, very unexpected for sure. But Jay does a really good job going through all the reasons and all the potential pitfalls, uh, not just the Great Salt Lake issue, but also the fact that Salt Lake City is about 4,300 feet above sea level, so you'd immediately run into a potential cores issue. The fact that Salt Lake City is a growing city and a growing metropolitan area, but still one of the smaller ones in the United Could States. Could they dome it? Uh, that's the other part of it is, you know, there are a lot of big backers for this potential bid. Uh, the Miller family that was, that owned the jazz. Uh, I was going to say, they're owned by somebody else now, right? Yeah. They, they were sold to a different Utah businessman a few years <laughs> yeah, ago. Yeah. I think his son took it over. I yeah. Smith. Uh, but, I think it's Smith. Yeah. I think Smith. The Miller family, uh, is behind this bid. So they're, hmm. you know, they, they were great stewards for the jazz throughout their, throughout their ownership of that team. They're in, Yeah. Uh, I, but it's I, probably it's also, a competent franchise. Like it's probably like good history there. Probably with the Jazz. But I probably think a good the, turnout. The question then comes up too is, well, who's going to pay for the ballpark? You know, again, is this going to be well, we know private money? Or <laughs> the taxpayers yeah. of Salt Lake City. We know the answer to that one, John Taylor. We do, but it'll be curious to see how that works with the city. Like how how on board is the city of Salt Lake? The the city of Salt Lake City. How <laughs> on board is the local government there with regards to you know? doing what would need to be done financially to build a 35,000-plus-seat Major League Caliber Stadium. Mm. So Jay gets into all of that. I think if you're at all interested or curious about, you know, you know, if you saw that news item and were like, Salt Lake City, give Jay's piece a read. Uh, it'll definitely give you all the details you need. And like, like we said, Jay is from Salt Lake City, so I think he brings a particular uh, viewpoint that we I haven't seen elsewhere. Uh, the expansion market... He's a good writer, so read Jay. Yeah. The expansion market is is a is a fascinating one right now between I feel Salt like it's Lake City, be a battle, right? There's got to be Portland, like, Nashville, Vegas, uh, <sighs> Montreal. I feel like one. Of, I don't think they get both, right? Salt Lake no. and Vegas. I don't think Va- Vegas and Salt Lake work. I don't think Major League no, Baseball I, I wants think, that. I think only one of them gets it because whoever gets it has to be slotted into one of the both teams would have to be slotted into a Western division. Yeah. Um. And not only that, but they they effectively, and I'm sure that whoever gets it would make the argument that Utah is now part of their media market. Yeah. 
I just um, feel like the A's are going to push back against this. Like the well, A's I mean, are going to be like, the, no, 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 no. This well, the other, happening. the other side of the expansion stuff is, of course, the fact that Rob Manfred has already said, we're not doing expansion until Tampa and Oakland get their stadium situations resolved. Yeah. Oakland, that looks like it's going to be just moving to Las Vegas at some point. Uh, Does that Tampa, mean Tampa moves to Montreal full time? They already floated that absolutely insane two-city <laughs> plan that was just... That's what I'm saying. I just feel like it ends with Montreal. Like, clearly there is a Montreal interest, and they're just... There is, to... but the city government up there uh, has shown no interest in paying for that. They have yeah. no interest whatsoever in in putting out any public financing for that stadium. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I mean, maybe maybe there's discussion eventually of, okay, Utah, you can have a team, but it's just going to be the Rays. We're just going to yeah. move the Rays out there or something. Or... But... Just build a stadium somewhere in Tampa Bay with your own money, uh, Tampa Bay Rays, and then also stay in the Bay, Oakland A's. What if you just did that? What if you just built a, one of nice? the 19 different yeah, uh, sample pictures we've seen in the last like 25 years on uh, Twitter and message boards and everything else? I feel like I've seen so many concept art stadiums for yes. the Rays and A's. I've, I, I, it, just amazing. I, I'd be so infuriated if I was a fan of any of it. Yeah, imagine if the A's just... Clean the possums out of the stadium. Oh, my God. <laughs> just the bare minimum. Feral cat situation. Yeah, maybe, maybe we just don't have wildlife in the stadium on the regular basis. That, that feels like a good option. It's unbelievable. John Taylor, always a pleasure, my friend. And uh, you stay safe out there. Enjoy the rest of your week. And I will talk to you next Wednesday. Sounds good. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves, and I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing, Mm -hmm. um, pleasantness, you're smart. So I think I'm going to hear big things about you. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas podcast. Hell yeah. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market